With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Empowering Family Caregiver Show on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Susan Bida, the co-founder of eCareDiary.com and your host for today's show. Today we're talking about the HOPE Act, Health Outcomes Planning and Education for Alzheimer's Act. And I am so pleased to uh, introduce our distinguished guest, Karen Francis. Karen is a certified dementia practitioner and founder of a consulting company called Calling All Angels Geriatric Case Management. The company offers case management services and education for the community and healthcare professionals specializing in the care of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. She's received the Caring Hearts Helping Hands Award twice from the Alzheimer's Association and a Presidential Service Award for her services to the community through Alzheimer's Association. Karen, it's so wonderful to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Karen, uh, let's just jump right into this because I'm very um, excited to hear about the HOPE Act and um, sort of what are the... uh, activities around that right now. Okay. Well, um, the, health of, the Health Outcome and Planning Education for Alzheimer's Act, um, it's been in, it was introduced um, about a year ago, and now it's been reintroduced, reintroduced again to the 113th Congress. Um, so it's referred to Senate 709 or House Resolution 1507. And the purpose of it is to ensure that um, individuals get diagnosis. You know, there's about half the people out there with some sort of dementia don't have a proper diagnosis. And, you know, with, with this disease, it's critical to get an early and accurate diagnosis so that we can plan for the future. And part of this act does include care management, it includes, um, you know, making sure that the healthcare professional, the doctor that they're going to, is giving them an accurate diagnosis. Um, Medicare is covering sort of a package, so that includes the diagnosis, the care management part of it, which is crucial, especially in the beginning when you get that diagnosis and you're thinking, oh my gosh, where do we go from here? Um, you know, what kind of help is out there? That's where the care management piece comes in, but also documenting the individual's medical record because um, a lot of times when someone has a diagnosis of dementia, there's, there's a good chance they have some other health issues going on and sometimes other health issues can mimic Alzheimer's disease and that they cause um, confusion or memory loss. And if we are getting a proper diagnosis, you know, we can rule those things out, number one. There might be things that you know, like if someone is depressed, a lot of times their thinking is impaired. Um, they have problems with their memory. And, you know, sometimes if we treat that depression, 
um, we see a big rebound in their cognitive ability. So it's, mm. it's really important to get a proper diagnosis. And the other part of it is, you know, Alzheimer's disease is just one form of dementia. There's other types of dementia out there, and the treatment for all of the other dementias are not the same. Um, you know, there's one type, Lewy body dementia, in particular, that if, if that is not diagnosed properly and that person's not given the proper treatment, it can actually, it can be fatal for that person because a lot of times with different types of dementia, people have issues with, with behaviors. Um, one of the core features of Lewy body dementia is that the person hallucinates. And sometimes if a doctor is not familiar with Lewy body dementia and the fact that a person does consistently hallucinate, they might treat them with an antipsychotic. People with that type of dementia are very, they're very sensitive to antipsychotic medications and it, it can really, really hurt, hurt them. So that's one of the reasons well, it's so important. Let, let me ask you, uh, I have so many questions. I mean, um, my goodness, so uh, tell us, first of all, I guess, why is an early diagnosis important? And, I, and then I think the next question after that would be, what is considered a proper diagnosis? Well, I, I think there are a lot of people out there that have some sort of cognitive impairment. They have some problems with their memory, some problems with thinking. And what a lot of doctors have done is they will say, okay, well, this person has dementia. Um, but they don't ask enough questions or dig far enough or order enough of the diagnostic tools needed to get a proper diagnosis. For example, if, if someone has a history of heart disease or stroke or high blood pressure, um, it's a good chance that person has a vascular type dementia. And if they aren't treating that heart disease or that high blood pressure, that person's going to continue to decline cognitively um, because of the loss of blood flow to the brain because of the stroke or a cardiac event. Mm -hmm. So early diagnosis is important because if there's other health issues contributing to it, we can treat those other issues. Um, and, and the other thing is, even though we don't have a medication or treatment out there right now, to slow prevent or cure this disease, which is sad, or, or any type of dementia, the scientists and doctors are feverishly working on finding a cure or a way to slow or prevent this, these diseases. So um, we can at least manage their symptoms a bit better and plan for the future um, if we know what's going on and we know what type of dementia, so we know what to expect in terms of symptoms. Um, right. You know, another example well, of this someone has... Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, if somebody has a frontal temporal type of dementia, their first symptoms may not be memory loss. And I think a lot of people just associate memory loss with the, the word dementia, and yes. they think of Alzheimer's immediately. But if somebody has a frontal temporal type of dementia, the first things that we're going to see with them the first symptoms are going to be like a behavior change. Um, that's usually the first thing that we see with them or um, just apathy in general. So mm -hmm. their personality changes. And um, it's still a disease of the brain and 
eventually some of them may have problems with their memory. They a lot of a lot of them will have problems with their speech. Um, so it's important to know what type it is so we can treat them properly. So one, uh, I'm very interested in this because uh, you're saying that um, early diagnosis is important and because it enables, uh, because if something else is going on that enables, um, I guess, the medical profession to, to address those other issues that might further impact the dementia, whichever it may be. Um, but does that also mean that it could per, per, potentially, by treating those other issues that could contribute to the dementia, does that mean it could delay the the um the enhanced i mean so it's delaying the um it could I slow guess the, the decline. further effects mm-hmm. slow the decline that's that's what i was looking for okay that's what i well, that's, that's what we always hope for and the other yeah. thing is if we are you know we're managing the symptoms because that's all we can do right now because we don't have a treatment out there even though we have medications like RSF, Namenda, Exelon you know, that are touted as Alzheimer's medications and are approved to treat Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, um, they don't slow the disease. So the only thing we can do at this point is manage the symptoms. So um, you can try those medications. They don't help everyone. Um, Some people have an issue with tolerating those medications. But the earlier we find these things out, um, the better quality of life a person could have if we are getting them on the, the right medications and giving them the right treatment. Right. And that's where the care well, planning comes in as well. Yes. And uh, let me ask you now uh, about the, the Hope for Alzheimer's Act. Is, is that how um, it's uh, – is that the proper name? Um, what, what, why is it important for our government – to do more to help those with Alzheimer's disease? I mean, what, what can the government do to actually, um, I guess, uh, foster this early diagnosis? I, I'm trying to understand this a little better. Well, um, it, it is an epidemic proportion right now in our country. We have over 5 million people um, with a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. And if you take all of the other types of dementia or the people with just the broad uh, diagnosis of dementia itself, that number goes up to about 13 million people in our country. Um, not only that, but, um, you know, back in 2010, we passed a piece of legislation called the National Alzheimer's Project Act, and in that, they formed a task force of um, people from, from Congress, from the Senate, um, and their whole goal was to come up with a plan to tackle this issue because if we don't fi- find a way to slow, prevent, or cure, that number of 5 million is going to increase to about 16 million by mid-century. I mean, that's the prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it costs our country, um, I think the number is about $214 billion a year um, if a cure or ways to slow it isn't found, um, that's expected to increase to about $1.2 trillion by mid-century. And we are going to bankrupt Medicare. So it is a big concern to our government, and it is in their best interest to help these people now and, um, you know, ask for all of these. There's, there's a lot of different pieces of legislation out there right now that we are that we're working on with our government. 
the primary one being the National Alzheimer's Project Act, because that one has already been passed. It's, it's, they are slowly enacting it. Um, the hope for Alzheimer's Act is only going to enhance that. Um, so, I mean, this is a really critical part of... And, uh, and just to remind me exactly what, what hope um, hones in on, the hope for Alzheimer's Act, uh, how, what, what is that specifically about? That is about, is, is it a type of, um, it's, it's a requirement uh, for Medic, uh, like affecting Medicare? Can you, can you just reiterate that yeah, one more time for it's, us? It's going to affect Medicare, and in, in, this, in this piece of legislation, what they are saying is that um, we want people to get, number one, we want them to get an early and accurate diagnosis. So that's going to mean educating, not just educating the public, but also educating our healthcare professionals and coming up with a uniform way of giving a diagnosis. Um, ah, you know, with okay. having specific diagnostic criteria. Um, so that's part of it. But what Medicare is going to do is put together a package. You know, currently, if you are trying to rule out Alzheimer's disease, um, Medicare may or may not pay for something like a PET scan. Um, mm -hmm. But with this package, it's going to include all the diagnostic tools needed to come up with a diagnosis or to rule out Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia. But if, if they are diagnosed, then the second part of that is that our healthcare professionals will provide care planning to these people. Um, from my experience, you know, in, in running support groups for years and, and, you know, just working with this population and my own relatives that have gone through, through, through this, you know, my nana had Alzheimer's disease, my papa had, he was never given a specific diagnosis. He, we just, they just called it dementia for him. My dad had vascular dementia. He died at the age of 64 a couple years mm -hmm. ago. Um, just in watching them, you know, I feel fortunate that I can recognize symptoms and, you know, for my dad especially, I was right there for him. I took care of him personally and I made sure he got the care he needed. Unfortunately, I think it was a little too late. Um, if we can get to the bottom of what's going on with their health and treat those issues, um, we can give them better quality of life. Um, and it's going to cut down on costs in the end to our government. Currently, for every $100 that the National Institute of Health spends on research for this disease, we are putting out about $2,600 in Medicare dollars. So it's, it's not balanced. <laughs> That's an enormous and, impact. And I, I believe I read somewhere uh, recently that dementia, the, costs, uh, the, the health care costs associated with dementia are even higher than heart disease or cancer. So um, this is, is a, a, obviously a national epidemic. And, um, and Karen, I know that you have done a lot personally uh, of uh, actually going to Washington to um, advocate for this legislation. So I want to thank you on, on behalf of... Uh, all, all the families out there who, who, have, um, who are caring for someone who is affected uh, by Alzheimer's uh, uh, for all the great work that you do. Now, um, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, some of the states that um, 
have really focused in on, uh, you know, really addressing the issue of Alzheimer's on a state-by-state basis. Uh, can you talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about that? What are some of the the states that are being yeah. that are most progressive? Well, um, there are about 40 states right now that have some form of an Alzheimer's plan. Pennsylvania just passed theirs a couple years ago, and um, I'm I feel fortunate and honored to say that there are a lot of people on the um, the planning committee um, that are going to help form legislation going forward to benefit people with with this disease. Um, actually, there's a lot of them from from the Lehigh Valley, which is real close to me. Um, so I know quite a few people that are on that committee. Um, yeah. and, and just for the audience, since this is a national program, um, Lehigh mm-hmm. Valley is in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, yes. Yes, sorry about that. But there, there are about 40 states right now that have a some sort of plan. Um, and uh, you know, and what, what we try to do sort of is, yeah. What we try to do is, um, you know, Pennsylvania passed their state Alzheimer's plan after New Jersey passed theirs. So what a lot of states are doing is they're looking at neighboring states to see, well, what do they have in their legislation? Because they want to try and mirror that, you know, because a lot of times we have long-distance caregivers. You know, you might have a a loved one living in New Jersey and you live here in Pennsylvania. um, Mm -hmm. And then when it comes time for thinking about placement, everything becomes... Um, difficult because of maybe guardianship or, you know, just different laws and um, criteria for placement between states. So um, we want to make sure that everybody is in the same areas or the general area or or kind of mirroring their legislation. It'll just make it that much easier for people who are having to do the whole long-distance caregiving. Um, and so what, what uh, I guess the question is, what legislation has yet to be passed as law that will benefit those living? With, are you talking at federal level? Um, yes. Okay. Um, well, the HOPE Act is going to go a long way in, in um, at least getting us started until we find a treatment or a way to you know, like I said, slow prevent or cure this disease, which is the most expensive disease in our country right now. Um, One of the reasons I don't think that it has gathered enough support yet from Congress and the Senate is that every piece of legislation um, has some kind of monetary (laughs) cost to it. We don't know the cost yet for this, unfortunately. And a lot of times when you talk to your congressman or your senator, they're going to ask you, well, has this been scored yet? Meaning, have we figured out what the budget for this is going to be? Unfortunately, we don't have those numbers yet because for all of this to happen for the HOPE Act, we're not only involving, you know, the National Institute of Health, we're involving the um, CDC, the Center for Disease Control, because they are responsible for educating the public. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to have to put things in place to encourage people going into the medical profession to go into geriatrics, to go into geriatric psychiatry. Um, Because really, 
I don't know um, how many geriatric psychiatrists you know, but they are few and far between. And um, yeah. I know a few, and they are just running their themselves ragged um, because so many yeah. there's such a need. And, that, and that's what I'm hearing of late. That um, the the actually the geriatric geriatricians are are um, are there's kind of a dearth of geriatricians around our country because there's less incentive for medical students to pursue the field of geriatrics. So um, uh, and and that uh, that leads me to ask you about I guess when we're talking about proper diagnosis, mm-hmm. what type of a I guess a a physician needs to provide that. I mean, what, what type of medical professional should be providing that diagnosis? Um, a family doctor can give a diagnosis, but I, I tell everybody in my group, support groups that um, even if they have the utmost faith in their family doctor, it's never a bad idea to ask for a reference to a neurologist. The neurologist is going to be able to order things like an MRI, a PET scan. Um, And I think family doctors and psychiatrists, um, you know, a lot of times they get involved in the care of Alzheimer's disease, but I think that they get more involved and pay more attention to um, just kind of taking care of the symptoms that go along with it and the behaviors. They look at the behavior rather than the whole person. I think a geriatric physician and neurologist look at the whole person and look for other issues that might be, you know, um, enhancing the, the problems that they're having. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a neurologist or geriatrician is really the best way to go. Well, thank a lot you of for times, sharing uh, that because, uh, group, I think a lot of families are not aware of, you know, who the proper, you know, medical professional they need to be reaching out to should be and, and um so thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I'll i tell you, I love my family doctor. My dad had gone to this doctor for over 30-some years. But I think because he was so close to the family, I had a really hard time getting him to discuss with my dad the fact that he needed to stop driving and that he definitely did terrible on his mini mental status exam, so he should not have been driving. And I always tell the family members, don't take that responsibility yourself of sharing that bad news with your family member or the person that you're caring for. Let the doctor do it. When the doctor isn't willing to do that, (laughs) that makes me angry. (laughs) I I think... um, the neurologists and the geriatricians, you know, this is what they do. They know how to talk to their patients about this, and that's the that's the best way to handle these these issues, I think. Karen, for, and for having our this audience, conversation. for our audience members who are um, new to or are just learning about dementia, um, could you tell them about? Uh, Tell our audience a little bit about the test that you just referred to. It's um, the, um, I, I forget the acronym, but it's, uh, can you tell them a little bit about the, that the test? The PET scan? Positron, uh, oh gosh, you're, uh, you're going to make me up. The mini, the, the mini mental. <laughs> oh, the mini uh, mental status what? exam? Yeah. That is actually just a, um, it's part of it, so a test that can just be given orally to the person in the office. It takes about 15 minutes. 
um, and it's scored, um, and you have a possible score of 30. Um, and a lot of doctors use that. A family doctor, um, a lot of family doctors use it. Geriatricians use it. So um, it is a good tool. There's There are other types of tests that can be done in the office. The problem is, again, if, if this person has issues with, has had previous issues with concentration, like attention deficit disorder, they're going to be mm-hmm. poorly on this test. If they know that they're going to be given some kind of test, they're going to be nervous and they're going to do a little more poorly on on this type of test. So there are tests they can do right there in the office. Um, It's asking questions, asking them to draw the face of a clock. Um, The reason a person with cognitive impairment with a type of any form of dementia has an issue with drawing a clock is that they lose the ability to to sequence. So writing down numbers is part of sequencing. So when you're asking mm-hmm. them to draw a clock and, you know, have the clock say 10.20 a.m. or, you know, 10.20, it's really hard for them to do that because it's also too many in, um, instructions. You're asking them too much at one time. So a lot of times right. those clocks don't look like clocks. <laughs> wow. So, and it's the, just for our audience's sake, it's the mini mental status exam. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it can be administered by the family doctor and uh, neurologist, correct? Correct. Geriatricians, okay. a lot of different doctors use that. There's other other tests too. One's called SAGE. Um, they're all, they all ask similar questions. They're asking questions that make that person... Um, we can tell if they are able to sequence. We can tell if their short-term memory is affected. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like part of the uh, mini mental status exam is um, we ask them to remember three things. And I always used to say if I was ever given the mini mental status exam, I would ace it because I've given that exam so many times and I've talked about it so much. And the three words you're supposed <laughs> to remember were table, apple, and penny. Well, I shared with you that I have, uh, I suffered a head injury about a year ago, and when she gave me my test, she made me remember different things. <laughs> she gave me different words to remember, and I'm like, oh, you tripped me. <laughs> um, so I didn't do very well on the test, and it did show that I had some issue with my short-term memory as a result of my head injury. Um, mm. I'm hoping that's going to improve. <laughs> Wow. Um, There are other tools that they can use as well um, that, again, the neurologist has more access to um, giving those orders like a CAT scan, an MRI, um, a PET scan. Um, There is a a drug that's been approved to be used with the PET scan, and it's called F18 Mm -hmm. at this point. But what it does is that drug, when it's injected, it adheres to the beta amyloid plaque, which is what we find with Alzheimer's disease. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a plaque that actually causes cell death and what they call tangles or tau. Um, With a PET scan, if you're not using this F18 drug, 
um, you can see what parts of the brain aren't functioning because they're not lighting up on the PET scan. Mm. This new drug, you can actually see where this plaque exists in the brain. And depending, based on their symptoms and what cognitive, cognitive deficits they have, looking at that PET scan, we can say, oh, well, that's the reason. Look at that plaque. That's right around the hippocampus area. That is the area that's responsible for short-term memory. They can make a better and more accurate diagnosis by using that. The problem is it's so new, Medicare doesn't yet pay for it, and the closest mm-hmm. hospital that I know of that, does, that uses this tool is Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. My goodness. It's a long distance for, for someone living in the center of the, the country, right? It, it, yeah, wow. it is. I'm sure there's others. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. wondering if probably the Mayo Clinic or the Cleveland Clinic, some of those other big teaching hospitals are probably using it by now. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that we're talking about, yeah, no, and, and uh, I, I'm, I want to just say that I am glad we're talking about diagnosis because uh, I think so many of, uh, so many caregivers and their families out there, um, I probably wonder if, uh, you know, probably are not having proper diagnoses or, or you know, they're, I can tell you from personal experience, there was no uh, proper diagnosis, and I think that you know a lot of these issues probably could be addressed much earlier than they are. So thank you for sharing uh, all this very valuable information, and um, and thank you for all your work on behalf of uh, Alzheimer's, um, those suffering from Alzheimer's and and their families. I wanted to ask you about advocacy and how can a person become an advocate in their own city and state. Well, if they go to the Alzheimer's Association webpage, um, www.alz.org, and when you get to the site, um, click on Advocacy. There is a huge section, and, and the first thing that you'll come to when you click on Advocate with the Alzheimer's Association is it will ask you, there's a, a thing that pops up. It says, I pledge to support the fight to end Alzheimer's. And they ask you for your name, your email, and your zip code. Um, you click join us, and then what it will do is you'll get emails if you want to receive them, um, letting you know about what legislation we are working on, what we trying to get passed um, at the federal level, and you'll also get local or state information as well from your site because your local chapter will have that information. And when there is a piece of legislation that we are trying to get passed, um, by putting in your zip code, it's going to tell you who your senators and who your congressman is. And it will come up with a preformed letter um, talking about the legislation, which you can customize. And I strongly encourage everybody to do that because I know, at least in the area that I live, our our legislators do really listen to their constituents. And I think it's a sad fact that a lot of our legislators are now having to deal with this on a personal level as well. Um, so by personalizing that, that form letter, you're letting them know, you know, they're not alone in what they're dealing with. And, um, you know, 
I always say, I'm not the one who came up with this term, but when you've seen one case of Alzheimer's, you've seen one case of Alzheimer's. Everybody goes through something different. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why it's so important for as many people to contact their legislators and make sure that they know what their needs are. Um, But by going to the Alzheimer's Association page, it makes it very easy to do that. Right, and that's, uh, just to repeat it again, it's alz.org. And it's mm-hmm. the uh, advocacy page, the advocacy That's section right. of uh, alls.org. And alls is A-L-Z dot org. Uh, and Karen, uh, you also wanted to make your audience aware of another website, uh, the sacredheartseniorliving.com uh, page. Yes. That is um, it's a company that I've been consulting for, and they just opened up a memory care unit. And... Um, I'm honored that they have asked me to work with them on this because it is such a beautiful, um, it's such a beautiful place, and I think that we've all put our heads together and have really come up with a lot of really good ideas to keep everybody happy, safe, and comfortable. Um, which means well, if we're able to do that. And uh, from what I've been uh, seeing in terms of, uh, I think, your post, it's a very, uh, it's, it's employing a lot of, uh, I think, very innovative practices. Yes. Um, you know, in my experience, um, a lot of people who are trying to keep their loved one at home or maybe they were in another facility, a lot of times they're so medicated. And because there are no medications approved, that really do anything to stop this disease, why not try to get them off those medications by finding out what makes this person happy, what makes them angry, what makes them scared? You know, when are these behaviors or when is this anxiety happening during the day? Because if we know those things, we can accommodate that person's routine and you know, be more proactive. You know, if we know that 5 o'clock, that person is saying, I want to go home, I want to go home, even though they're in their home, we can give them something to do maybe with their hands that's going to take their mind off of that thought, I need to go home. Um, and those are the types of things that we're employing in this, in this unit. Um, you know, a lot of people with, with Alzheimer's disease have issues with, not remembering that they're hungry. They have problems with, um, you know, loss of appetite, maybe because of their medications. We have a bread maker going throughout the day, so the scent of bread actually stimulates their appetite. Um, The colors that we've used are all very soothing. Um, And there's all kinds of things just to stimulate different senses throughout the facility um, and bring back happy memories. I'm very excited to uh, come out and visit. I, uh, I, I'm always fascinated by, um, you know, improved ways of caring for our loved ones who are um, going through this uh, horrible disease. And it's such a, um, and it affects, as you say, uh, you know, different people in different ways. And um, I'm just so happy to hear about all the, um, you know, innovative and progressive practices that you're employing at Sacred Heart Senior Living. So I, I look forward to meeting you out there in person one day. I'm looking forward to it too. Yeah. And uh, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today and educating us on uh, the Hope for Alzheimer's Act. I encourage our listeners out there to get involved, to visit the org site and uh, download the um, 
letter to your legisl local legislators to take action. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Karen, for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure to actually meet you uh, uh, on Blog Talk Radio for the first time. And, you too. I uh, look forward to having you back. <laughs> all right. I look forward to it too. Uh, Thank you. Yes, uh, we definitely need to have you back because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of progress with uh, yourself and people like you really, uh, you know, fighting and advocating on behalf of Alzheimer's disease. Um, I want to join, ask our audience to join us on Tuesday, May 13th at 2 p.m. for our next Empowering Family Caregivers show with Doris Haas, who is our guest. She is a uh, certified professional geriatric care manager and the owner of founder of App owner and founder of Atlas Care Management, and she's going to be talking about our residential housing options for seniors. Uh, to learn more about our radio programs, uh, visit eCareDiary.com under our content section, and we have a, a radio show tab there. Um, we look forward to uh, having you join us on our uh, upcoming programs, and uh, feel free to visit us on uh, social media, Facebook, and LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you all so much and have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.